Well, good afternoon. It's great to be here as you're opening your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. If you wouldn't mind going ahead and getting a head start on that. I want to say just one controversial thing. And I promise it's the only controversial thing that I'll say today. The, the girl that won the Egg Wars contest, you know, you're hacking away at each other like a bunch of crazy cannibals or whatever was going on there. She won that because she was wearing an OU hoodie. <laughs> and right there, I've lost everybody. So, what, man, we got people throwing up the Texas sign. I don't know what you're doing here anyway. And I want to say it's always, it's always special to, to get to be um, with this many young people. And uh, I think we ought to do a couple of things first. Let's give it up for Brother Andrew, Brother John, Pastor Durrell, and everyone at Eastland Baptist Church. And it's really special to watch this church family, adults and teens, the way that they welcomed us in and they're cheering you on. I don't know the last time you got applauded for coming to church, but maybe you want to say to your youth pastor, hey, I could get a little more involved if you were there clapping for me every time. No, no, that's a bad idea. But I sure do appreciate that. And then I think we should show respect to your pastor and youth leaders because it takes sacrifice to bring you to things like that. So let's honor them as well. To the, to the Bible Baptist group, uh, it's always special in Stillwater. It sure is special to be with y'all and love you and thankful for the opportunity. And Brother Andrew, Pastor Durrell, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach. I am stoked to have my wife. So um, I'll talk more about them in just a moment. But man, I have eight terrorists at home. Alexandra, Ashlyn, Jason, Jaden, Addison, Justin, Jackson, and Jaron. And it is a good time and we are thankful for it. So let's all stand, Daniel chapter 1. I'm not going to be nearly as exciting as the games that you played, and they're awesome. Man, I love it. And I think it's really cool. You're allowed to have fun at church and as a Christian. It's fantastic. But I do believe that God wants to talk to you. And, and it's not limited to this moment. God wants to talk to you every day. God has something to say to you about you every single day. But I do believe he wants to talk to you now. And so since you're here, if you didn't give God an opportunity to say something to you about your life, for his purpose in your life, I do believe that it can help what he desires to do in you not just for a small season, but for the rest of your life. Because I believe that God has a purpose for us. In Daniel 1, verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, meaning they had a place of chief influence and prominence with the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king 
inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Look, this wasn't some kind of ego trip. This wasn't Daniel and his three companions saying, hey, we're better. It wasn't pride. It was a, it was a pagan king seeing the effect that God has on the lives of, please get this, on the lives of some young men that were yielded to him. This was a pagan king's declaration, surrounded by the best that his culture could produce. And this is what he said, what God can produce in the life of a young person is 10 times better. Mm. And Daniel continued. I don't remember the exact number of years, but it was decades of influence, even to the first year of King Cyrus. And here's the title, the thought that I want to begin with. This was no accident. You've seen the theme, live with purpose. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Get this in your head as we begin, please. This in Daniel chapter 1 was no accident. Father, we've asked, so many people have been praying, and I just, I want to ask you one more time to do what only you are able to do, and to help and to work as only you are able to help, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. So, uh, really privileged to have our youth leaders, Robbie and Marcella Wickland here, and uh, thankful for our children and their children and, you know, boys are just naturally aggressive and very intense. And this is the thing when you're raising kids, a lot of things get blamed on accident that there is no way they can be an accident. If you know what I'm talking about. Now, look, look, you can't actually have accidents. And, you know, I'm, I've, I'm in my 40s now, and so I'm kind of dealing with this. When you get into your 40s, man, you're really really old, and you can't drink as much Dr. Pepper after 10 o'clock because it does weird things to you. But there are some things that just aren't. They are not an accident. And so the Wicklands, they, one of their children, I want to protect his identity. His name is August, but we'll just call him Gus. And then we have a son, our youngest son, and his name is Jaron. And they're, they're just both a little psychotic at times. And somebody will come running into the room, whether it's at their house or at our house. And they're like, man, Gus or Jaron just punched me in the face. And then you'll go and you'll talk to them and let's say, look, it was an accident. I was just randomly swinging and they put their face in the way. And, and, and honestly, and they don't articulate it this way. They're, they're not this articulate yet. But they're basically saying it's their fault because they put their face in front of my fist. And I really think I'm the victim in this situation. No, there are certain things that just can't. It's no way that they can be an accident. There's a congressman named Jamal Bowman. He's a congressman from New York. And this past October... He was walking through one of the congressional buildings and different circumstances were going on. And he pulled a fire alarm in a congressional building. Now the security cameras identified that it was him. And then later when he was being uh, questioned by security and congressional leaders, this was his statement to the leadership. And this is, this is one of the most powerful men in our country. And this is what he said. I pulled it by accident. <laughs> Look, you don't pull fire alarms <laughs> by accident. 
There are some things, this is a point I'm trying to get you to understand and get your wheels turning about using the negative examples, but trying to get you to understand this. There are certain things in life that cannot happen by accident. The only way that they happen is on purpose. And what we read about in Daniel chapter one at the end is a result of very purposeful decision-making. Now, Daniel was in a position of generational usefulness on a global scale. It wasn't an accident. And I understand this, you understand this. I hope you buy into this, that God did have a purpose for Daniel's life, but I want you to buy into this more. God has a purpose for your life. And I don't know all of your circumstances. It would be impossible for me to ever know all of your circumstances. But your life is not an accident. And while the things in your life, which we'll talk about, might seem random and chaotic, there is a God in heaven who has a very specific interest in your life. And he has a purpose for your life. But this is the thing about God. His purpose can be grand and specific and amazing, but he won't force it on you. God does not, he will not take you and say, I'm going to impose my purpose on your life. Now, in Daniel's life, there were some very challenging circumstances that he had to deal with that I think you might be able to relate to. Number one, there were forces that were more powerful than him. If you go back to the beginning of chapter one, and then you read in the story of the, of the kings of Judah, you see that there was a rebellious king. Daniel was a part of the royal seed. But he had authority, and that authority had chosen to reject God in every way. And Daniel, though he obviously has some faith, he had no control over those forces that were more powerful than him. And it caused some significant movement in his life that he wasn't in control of. God opens the door because of the rebellion of his people to an invading army from the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel again finds himself under the control of forces over which he has no control over, these great, powerful influences that are moving and that are causing a domino effect into Daniel's life. He had no control over them. Number two, there was pain that was inflicted on him. You read, it's referenced a couple of times. We've seen it once that Daniel was a part of the group. He was under the authority of one who was called the master, the prince of the eunuchs. And, and I don't want to be inappropriate, but a eunuch was a young man who had something done to him to devote his loyalty to the king only and to permanently remove any possibility of romance in his life or marriage in his life. And this wasn't something that was done by permission. It was something that was done to Daniel and to many others. And it would have been very painful and it would have changed so many things in Daniel's life. And Daniel went through something that was forced on him that was very, very painful. You see, it's very easy to read the Bible and not to think about what they were going through on the daily level, but they were going through very painful and difficult circumstances, not just being taken from your homeland into a place of captivity, but also having these procedures forced upon you. Then the last thing that was going on around him was this, was the compromise of people that were around him. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not the only ones taken from Jerusalem. In fact, Babylon would have been filled with the royalty of the nation of Israel or the, the nation of Judah, the best and the brightest. And so they weren't the only ones who grew up with some knowledge of Jehovah and what he expected of them. But when they get into this foreign land, no one declared it, 
But basically the sentiment was this. We have been taken captive. We have had these things forced upon us. We have endured some pain along the way. Now we're being given these opportunities. We're being taught a new language. We're being given this food. We're being given this drink. And it doesn't really matter what God says because our king back home didn't care about God. This king here doesn't care about God. So it it really doesn't matter what we do. We're just going to go along with the culture and the direction that it's going. And we're just going to see where this takes us. Here's the danger. When there's so much that we can't control, we come to this conclusion, that faith in God is pointless. There's no point to this. Again, I I don't know that any of them said it uh, the way that we can read it on a piece of paper, but their lives indicated that, yep, there's no point and being concerned about what God said to Moses, because we're not with Moses, we're with Nebuchadnezzar. There's no point in being concerned about what God did for his people in the promised land, because we're not, in the, we're not where he brought us anymore, we're in Babylon now. So because of all of these circumstances, faith in God really has no point. Many of you today might be living or leaning into a life where you have concluded that faith in God is pointless. There's been so much that's happened, that is happening, that you don't control, that is painful, that is chaotic, and you see the compromise around you, and your conclusion is there's no point to trying to follow God anymore. Let's talk about it for a minute. Forces that you don't control. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be mean or unkind. And my passion, don't let my passion come across as, as some kind of critical thing. And, I, and I'm not trying to make things uncomfortable, but I do, I do want to help. Man, there, there are times when havoc comes into a marriage. And there are some young people in here whose moms and dads have chosen to separate and, and that creates a domino effect in the life of a young person. And that creates insecurity in the life of a young person. And those forces are things over which you have no control and you don't know how to navigate them. You don't know how to feel about them. But maybe there was a season where your mom and dad brought you to church and maybe your mom and dad said, hey, we need to live our life this way. And then you see that marriage fracture and break apart. And, and, and there seems to be so little concern for how it's affecting you or so little concern for what you're going through and how you're going to process it. Those are forces over which you don't have control. Some of you in here have lost a loved one, someone that was very close to you that died, and sometimes they die suddenly, and sometimes they die tragically, and it leads this void, and it leaves questions. And by the way, there's nobody who can answer every question that we have in times of tragedy. There are losses, there are people that get sick that don't make any sense, and there are accidents that happen, and there are these unexplained difficulties. Some of you, maybe nobody knows about it, but some of you are dealing with the shadows of abuse in your life. No, I wish that it wasn't the case, and I wish that we didn't even have to talk about such things, but there are young men and young women who feel so vulnerable and who've given up on the idea of God having any purpose for their life because of abuse that's happened. 
and there's physical abuse and there's sexual abuse and there's verbal abuse and you don't even know how to process it. You find yourself in this tumbling cycle over which you have no control, but dominoes keep falling in your life. And you just concluded, yeah, it's pointless to live for God. Look, I, man, we, I love competition. I, I love being aggressive and intense. I was talking about, man, if I could have gotten up here for that egg war thing, I would have done a flying kick on somebody. Like on a crouching tiger, hidden dragon and floated on somebody and just been whacking people's eggs all over the place. I love that, but man, sometimes life can be really hard and people find themselves being bullied. Just don't even know who to talk to about it. Man, there are forces that we can't control. Some, there's pain that we don't know how to process. The pain, I've talked about some of the pain. Sometimes there's the pain of failure. And, and there might be. I, I would be surprised if they're not. There's some young men in here struggling with some things like pornography. And there's some young ladies in here deeply struggling with their attitude. And you're hiding things on your social media. And you've gotten in with the wrong crowd. And you're just, you're so overcome by guilt and shame. And you just conclude that, man, there's just no point. I've gotten, I've gotten so deep into this. And I've, and I've gotten so guilty. And there's, there's just no point. And then sometimes we look around. And when we see the compromise that's going on around us. I mean, I thank God for Eastland Baptist Church. I thank God for the churches that are represented here, but it's not this way everywhere. And even sometimes within church families, there are these areas where people just don't care anymore. And you're being caught in the wave and in the tsunami of compromise, maybe at your school or maybe in your church or maybe in your family. You're just saying, I don't, I don't see that there is any point in me trying to live for God. So you know what happens when you conclude that life is pointless? You just completely give up. That takes different forms. One of the forms it takes is suicide. Again, there are things that I wish were not so. I find it heavy and tragic that in a youth, in a youth event like this where you've had so much fun and where you're surrounded by people that love you so much that we even find it necessary to mention this. But I pastor in the real world. And there might be young people here, you, you have contemplated it this week. My life has no value. Why was I abused? No, if, if my life had value, this wouldn't have happened. No, if my life had purpose, this wouldn't have been done to me. Or I've messed up too much and I would, I would just rather not have to face the consequences. Can I tell you? And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But there is no failure so great that God can't restore you from. But you conclude in your grief and in your shame that it would be easier just to end my life. Nobody's going to miss me. Nobody cares. Sometimes you go deeper into the sin. Uh, some of you have gotten deeper in the addictions, deeper with the drugs, deeper with the porn, deeper with the anger, deeper with the lack of forgiveness and the bitterness and the resentment. 
because you've just concluded this doesn't make any difference in my life. It's pointless. I'm just going to go along with what everybody's eating and everybody's drinking and everybody's thinking. It, what I do and how I do it does not matter. And you just give up. Some of you just completely give up on the idea that there is a God who cares for you. We read in verse number 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. Now, to purpose means that he had made up his mind beforehand. Okay, so I want to... I'm giving you a negative example of a positive thing. I love cheese curds. I love saying that word, those words, almost as much as I love eating them. Cheese curd. <laughs> so good. It's deep fried cheese. I mean, it's so healthy. You know what I love about praying for your meals? I mean, you'd be sincere about it, but you, man, we believe God can use anything. It's awesome. Cheese curds are amazing. Specifically the one at Freddy's. You know, Freddy's, the hamburger joint. How many of y'all like In-N-Out? Man, get saved, you people. Man, I like, I like me some Freddy's. Man, so, so I was introduced to cheese curds, I don't know, five, six years ago, and somebody asked me, hey, do you like cheese curds? And I'm like, no, they're disgusting. You know what the truth was? I'd never eaten one. <laughs> That's just who I am. I have opinions about things I know nothing about. And I had made up my mind. No, cheese curds are disgusting. Oh, my goodness. This is what manna was like. You know what I'm talking about. You get some fresh cheese curds. Bro, it's, just, it's delightful. It's like revival in your mouth. It's wonderful. No, Daniel had predetermined. Before he was in captivity, and then especially after he was in captivity, God is who he is regardless of my physical location. No, God is who he is regardless of my circumstances. And what God thinks and what God wants doesn't change because of all of these shifts and movements in my life over which I have no control. And I understand there are things that I can't control, but I know that there is a God. There's a couple of things that he got. Number one, there is a God who loves me. He has a purpose for my life. And in spite of how difficult the circumstances are, he is still working. No, God is busy even when you don't see it. Oh, God is doing things even when you aren't aware. Even when you are your most discouraged, even when you're your most angry, even when you're filled with rage about things that have happened to you, even when you're filled with desperation about things that have happened to you or areas that you failed in, we conclude that our emotional state is a reflection or our circumstances are a reflection of the fact that God isn't working. But I'm telling you, the God who spoke the world into existence, who came to this earth and died for us the way that these groups have sung about that God is always busy on your behalf. And Daniel believed that. Here's the second thing he knew. I can't control what my king did, what this new king does. 
I can't control what's been done to me. I can't control what all of my fellow countrymen are choosing to do. But here's what I can control. My attitude and my actions. So this is what Daniel concluded. In a world in which he was surrounded by pointlessness, Daniel chose to live on purpose. You know how you live with purpose? It's simple. You have to choose to live for God on purpose. Man, we have a great country. It's not a perfect country, and it's obviously rejected God in so many ways. But I'm thankful for many examples in the past that should inspire us today. No, and I'm not ashamed of telling young people, rather than just believing everything you see on social media, you ought to do some of your own research because there's some pretty inspiring people that can be an encouragement. One of my favorite is a man named Booker T. Washington. He was born into slavery in the 1850s. His biological father was an abusive, conceited white man that was unknown to him. At the age of nine, he was freed along with his mother after the Civil War. And his mother moved he and his siblings to West Virginia, where he, his mom met a free black man named Washington Ferguson. And they were married, and he became Booker's father. Now get this, Booker was only allowed to go to school after he had worked from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. Now look, some of you are like, I can get down with that if it involves an Xbox or a PlayStation. Like, can you imagine your mom saying, now look, son, I, I know you're really dedicated to your education and all, but I feel like your brain would develop better if you did a little more gaming. Some of you youth pastors don't want to admit it, but you're saying, man, I wish I could, amen. No, 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 we're not talking about that. He worked in a salt works. And, and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't quite in the youth department yet when that started. From 4 a.m. to 9 a.m., he had to work. Then after he got out of school, he then had a second job. But it was in 1872, at the age of 15 or 16, that he found out about an institute that was focused on the education of former slaves. And so at the age of 16, he walked 500 miles to enroll in this academy. He went on to become an excellent student. He would become one of the most influential thinkers and leaders in the 19th century. He made huge advances in education, botany, and farming. He was the first black man to be invited to the White House, where he was an advisor to both President Roosevelt and President Howard Taft. He worked at the Tuskegee Institute for 25 years until his death, and when he died, he had led Tuskegee to an enrollment of over 1,500 with a faculty of 200 and an endowment of nearly 2 million to carry on the work. He went from an enslaved peasant to an advisor to presidents. Now, you know what we do in our culture today? You know what you do in your culture today? You sit around and say, well, he was just lucky. No, he just, he just had things that I didn't have. No, no, no. You know what he had? A man who took, a, who took advantage of his mother and took no responsibility for him. That's what he had. 
You know what he had? He was born in a time and in a culture where people were viewed as property and not as the beautiful, valuable possession and creation of God that they are. That's what he had. You know what he had? Even when he had a stable home, he had a job as a child where he had to work, wake up before four and he had to work for five hours and then go to class. At 16, he had an educational opportunity, but there was no Uber and there was no bus and there was nobody lining up to help book her out. And his family certainly couldn't afford to do it. So this man decides, I am going to take control of the things that I can control and I'm gonna walk 500 miles miles and I'm not going to live my life being a victim and blaming everybody. I'm going to believe that there is a God who has a purpose and I am going to control the things that I can control. You know what Booker did? The same thing that Daniel did. You know what it is? I'm going to live on purpose. You want to live with purpose? You got to stop blaming. Look, I'm, I'm sorry. No, you don't, you don't know how much I mean this. I'm sorry for how you hurt. I, I thank God for how I was raised. I, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm so thankful for a mom and dad who broke cycles in their life. But I, I'm sorry for the pain that goes on. But can I tell you, you don't break cycles you don't live on purpose by continuing to live in the rearview mirror of blame. Oh, it was mentioned earlier, and it's such a valid point. Some of you got to forgive. You know, at some point, you're going to have to let the cross of Jesus Christ mean something to you in your pain. And you're going to have to treat others the way that Jesus has treated you and desires to treat you. You're going to have to take responsibility for the actions no, that you have control over. You look around and you say, well, man, if my parents would do this or if my siblings would do this or if my youth leader or my pastor, how about you just come to the altar today and say this, God, I can't control all of that, but there are things that I can control. You're going to have to, if you want for God's purpose to be fulfilled, if you want to overcome a culture of pointless you're going to have to live on purpose. So my last name's Pyle. And there's a lot of fun things you can do with that name. So I've got the quadruple P of how you live your life on purpose. What does it look like? Number one, living your life on purpose with purpose. It's this. It's prioritized living. Here's what I mean by that. Number one, God loves you. And, you know, maybe some of you have heard it, you've been wrestling with it, but the most important decision that you're ever going to make in your life is whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. No, you need to understand that God has prioritized you. Jesus left the glory of heaven and he came to this earth so that he could die for your sin. And young people, you can, we sometimes get this thought, well, they don't know what I'm guilty of. We don't need to know because God knows. And when Jesus died, he didn't just die for everything that you have done. He died for everything that you could ever do, that you could ever be guilty of 
Ooh, and this is the amazing part. He paid for all of it. Salvation is not a religious process. Salvation is not cleaning up your act. Salvation is not coming to a church. Salvation is not getting baptized or completing a class or reading your Bible through. Salvation is not promising to never do that again or completely giving up something. Salvation is letting go of everything and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And he wants you today. I don't care how long you've been in your youth group. I don't care what your parents do with that church. I don't care how long your family has been a part of it. I don't care what side of the tracks you come from. God has prioritized you and he wants you today. Now, let me ask you a question. If you died right now, where do you go? No, no, I don't, I'm not asking where you go to church. I'm not asking how good you've been. Do you know? that there has been a moment when you accepted Jesus. And if anybody in this room is thinking, man, if that preacher knew what I was guilty of, listen, I don't have to know what you're guilty of to know that Jesus paid the price for it. Salvation is not something that you earn. No, you saw competitions today where prizes were awarded to people who earned them. But salvation is a prize that Jesus earned on your behalf. And you don't have to work for it, either to receive it or to maintain it. That's another thing, by the way. Jesus prioritizes you so much that he gave you a salvation that you cannot lose because you're not the one who keeps you saved. Mm, he is the one who keeps you saved. And you just need to get to the place, if you want to live a life with purpose, on purpose, to where you understand that God has prioritized you, and you got to buy in. This morning, he's waiting, or this afternoon, he's waiting for you to figure it out. I prioritize you so much that I died for you. I prioritized you so much that I gave everything so that I could give you eternal life. Would you humble yourself and accept me? Number two, to live your life with purpose, on purpose, it must be a prioritized life. You've got to accept that God prioritizes you. Number two, it must be a principled life. You go back to verse number eight. And Daniel said this. He had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Okay, you ready? This is simple. What's the big deal? No, no, in, in the scheme of all the turmoil in his life, what's the big deal with his diet? No, in the scheme of an invading king, in the scheme of captivity, in the grand scheme of the things that were done to him, in the grand scheme of being raised by a pagan in a foreign land, in the grand scheme of all of that, What's the big deal with the diet? Well, two things. Number one, it was the one thing in his life that he could control. Look, God doesn't hold you accountable for what you can't control, but he does hold you accountable for what you can control. Here's the second thing. You know why it mattered? Because it mattered to God. No, we don't have time. If you want to, you can understand that God represented himself in the nation of Israel through dietary laws. He was, they were supposed to eat a certain way because he wanted, get this, their faith in him to be reflected in every part of their life. 
There's another word for it. It's called conviction. It's called some, some kind of line. There, there, we get afraid of the words like this. It's called the standard. Daniel understood this. There is a God in heaven who is dictated to us that we should do these things and we should not do these things. And so I'm going to live a life of principle that is based on the truth of God. Here's why it mattered. Because God said it mattered. Look. What matters to God isn't determined by the current political climate or by your geographical location. It's determined by his truth. Let me help you. And I'm thank, I thank God for the men and women in your life that help you with this. But let me, let me just add a little bit to it. You ready? You know why gender matters? Because God said it does. Oh, no. No, please get this. Please get it. Young men, young ladies, God didn't make a mistake when he made you. No, 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 no. There's some that are wrestling with their identity. And, and you're working through different emotions and you're working through different feelings. You, you've got to recognize this, that your feelings about yourself and your emotions in a moment are going to change many times over time. And you start listening to these voices that deny the existence of truth, that deny the existence of a God who orders things a certain way. But God made men and he made women on purpose for a purpose, and he made both of them in his image. Look, I'm not trying to start a fight in here, but there's not one gender more valuable than the other. God did things in a specific order on purpose, and the reason he made the woman second wasn't because she was less valuable, but he wanted to make sure the man understood that you need her. How about that? No, please get it. Young people, young people, God didn't mess up when he made you a girl. Look, I know we got some girls in here who could put some dudes in a headlock. And look, I probably should ask for forgiveness for this, but it would be entertaining for a minute. I'll tell you a real quick story. My daughter, Ashlyn, sitting back here, beautiful blonde curly hair, all that kind of stuff. And my, my eight-year-old at the time, he was six, you know, loving to punch people. And he's running around. He's six and he's running around. Men are stronger than women. And it was just ego. And he gets it from his mom. I mean, anyway, it's just, he's just like, man, men's are stronger than women's. I'm like, okay, tough stuff. Go wrestle your sister. And, and, I'm, and Ashlyn is really sweet. I'm like, Ash, you got to smoke that, you got to smoke that dude's hiney. Like, so, I mean, she's just going to town on him. Finally, he's on his back. You know that, you know how it feels when you're on your back? I mean, you're just completely pinned. <laughs> and he's like this. Argh! And so I say, Ashley, keep him there. And I make him look at me. And he's just. Argh! Argh! I say, Jaron, who's stronger than you? Jaron, who's stronger than you? Ashlyn, what does that mean? Oh, Jaron, what does that mean? Women are stronger than men's. And you're like, yeah. In your case, <laughs> they are. <laughs> oh, look, look. The world is trying to create competition that God never intended there to be. You know why? To confuse you about his purpose. Look, look. I didn't, I didn't create the rules. God did. And he has the right to, by the way. Your purpose is uniquely connected to your gender. 
And if you can undermine God's purpose in your gender, you can undermine his purpose in so many other areas. God did not make a mistake. You know why reading your Bible matters? Because God says his word matters. Hey, 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 young people, you know why obeying your parents matters? Because God says it does. Man, I'm a teenager and I got a cell phone. I, just, I don't want to burst, well, I do want to burst your bubble. You don't have a constitutional right to a cell phone. And I, look, I'm not trying to invade into the, into the space of your parents' authority in your life. But if they tell you to let them see your phone, you don't have an argument against it. They should be able to look at your phone anytime they want to. They should be able to take it away anytime that they want to. They should be able to tell you where you can go and when you can't go. You're not commanded to like everything your parents say, but you are commanded to obey them. Now, look, we start arguing, well, I've got a really extreme situation. I'm not talking about the extremes. Young people, if you want to have God's purpose in your life, you got to deal with obedience. It's got to be a principled life. You know why pornography is wrong? Because God says that sexual experience is reserved for a husband and a wife inside the bonds of marriage. And anything outside of that is a violation of his truth. You know why drugs are wrong? Regardless of how they make you feel. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God. And ye are not your own. It's got to be a principled life. But number three, it's got to be a polite life. Uh, look, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up quick, I hope. I was told if I don't get done by a certain time, you don't get any prizes, and I don't want y'all all mad at me, so. No, look, the, you know what we find in Daniel not doing in chapter 1? Criticizing or making fun of people who believe differently than him. You know what he did? He just let his faith and his conviction be a poster, be a, be a billboard for how amazing God is. You know what we've done in our churches today? And youth pastors, leaders, I hope you get this. We have made the truth of God and the convictions of God a nasty thing. No, they're nothing to be ashamed of, but neither are they a thing to be mean about. No, look, look, there are young people that are wrestling with things. There are young people that are battling some issues. Hey, if you're not battling with, this, uh, with those same issues, praise the Lord. But what will be a help to them is not you coming along making fun of them. It's you investing in them. No, I, be, I believe this. I can't necessarily prove it. But there is evidence in Daniel that people were affected by his faith who really didn't agree with him on a lot of things. But because of the way he lived his life, he was not angry. He was not making fun of. Look, it's easy to make fun of people that are different than you. Well, the, those things are gross and weird. Okay, fine. But you know what else is gross and weird? Your pride. No, okay, I think I'm going to park it here for just a minute. We love, the, we love to talk about the big sins, and man, we'll say amen to it, and we'll get all fired up about it. But you want to talk about the things that God hates. The number one thing is a proud look. We walk into church sometimes, we walk into youth group thinking we're so much better than everybody else because we don't do those things. No, 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 no. You have something that is better. That is Jesus. And rather than being ugly about your position, take that position and invest it in people who need him. I hope that makes sense. Christians sometimes can be some of the ugliest people. 
I was in McDonald's one time, and this dude came in with this enormous belt buckle. He was obviously from Oklahoma because Texans don't have belt buckles that big. Like, it was, it was huge. It was like a satellite. He's like, I want to make that into a belt buckle. And on it, it said, praise the Lord. Like, he's a witness. I'm a cowboy and an evangelist. See my belt buckle? That's what you need. You need him in your life. Somebody, probably some like 16, 15-year-old that never went to church got his order wrong. I watched this happen. He went irate. I'm, I'm crazy irate on that person. Listen, if you have Jesus, stop being mad about it. No, if you have him, then let him use you to affect those who don't. You're not going to do that by being ugly and nasty. If you want to live for a purpose, on purpose, you've got to let your faith be affect your politeness, last thing, and then will be done. If you're going to live with purpose, on purpose, it needs to be a prioritized life, a principled life. It needs to be a polite life. And last of all, it needs to be a positive life. Did you buy in today to this thought? God has so much more that he wants to do. You know why guys and gals spent hundreds of hours preparing for this event? I mean, man, ping, balls being, ping pong balls being chucked everywhere. I mean, just you have left your germs all over this place. <laughs> like, like some of you, you didn't put deodorant on before you got here. Like maybe next year, if you want a recommendation, pass out deodorant while you're applauding them. It's like, have some of that free breeze. Okay, fub breeze. <laughs> Just spray everybody in. Man, your, your youth workers, a lot of them took time off of work and they gave up time with their own family Be, because they love you. You say, why would they do this? Because we believe God is still at work. Hey, God wants to do something with your life. I'll, let me touch this and I'll be done. Look, some of you, you have decided what your purpose in life will be. You're saved, but you're like, God, I'm going to keep you over here. Instead of God saying, you can have all of me, whatever you want to do with me. Sure. You know what? I think, I think God would maybe do something different with your life if you would allow him to. I don't think God calls everybody into an official ministry position, but God wants to use everybody. Look, look, in God's economy, there's not a hierarchy of who, who is more valuable. Man, man I, I met uh, someone I was so excited to meet today. Brother, I think Brother Keith, um, uh, running around and he's just helping however he can. In God's economy, uh, Brother Keith is not more or less valuable because he's not up here on the platform. It's just a blessing to be a part of God's work in any way that we can. But get this, young people, do you have any desire for God to use your life? You know what I believe? God still wants to use people like you to change a world that needs Jesus. You say, I don't know that I'll ever be like Daniel and have access to a king, but you might influence people that can one day influence somebody else that influences a king. Leave all of that to God and just decide this. God, I believe you have a purpose. So I'm going to live on purpose. 
Here's my last illustration. I'm done. I'm a communist. I like soccer. I don't know what you're booing or amening, whatever, don't care. When my church back home, when our church family found out I like soccer, they almost voted me out. It was a problem. Well, the real reason they almost voted me out is because I said there are no cowboys in Idaho. They're all in Oklahoma. That caused the problem for a minute. But we repaired those bridges. One of the greatest soccer players ever is Pele. And not my favorite. I always root against Brazil, but his story is amazing. And this is what he said later on in his life. Success is no accident. No, no, think about it. You look at somebody like Pele and you're like, well, they were born with, yeah, they're born, but there was a whole lot of work into things that you never see or read about. Living for God is no accident. You know who God uses? The ones who are willing to live on purpose. So today, can you buy in that God has a purpose for you? Maybe to live on purpose, you got to be saved today. Man, let's get saved today. Don't wait. Maybe today you need to be at this altar saying, I've let some things into my life. I need to talk to my youth pastor and my parent right now. I've let some things in, but I need help. Hey, there's not rejection there. There is forgiveness and restoration there. There won't be condemnation here. There will be, there will be celebration that someone surrendered to God. Maybe you just need to change your attitude and stop being mad all the time. And maybe you need to buy into the fact that God wants to do something great with you, but live on purpose. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.